Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We're down here at the very lively Hot Stove Kitchen at 4th and Virginia, downtown Seattle, and we are located inside the gorgeous Andra Hotel, which is an 11-story beauty here, old-fashioned beauty with a brand-new interior it's super lovely. Great place to come for a staycation if you haven't done so in Seattle, Washington. Exactly. As a matter of fact, you know what? I haven't done this in a long time. Uh, and just to make our producer crazy, uh, we are going to give away a room night here at the Hotel Andra on a Thursday or Friday night. And you can, let's see, should we do it on a Thursday night? And yes. then you can come to the show on Friday morning. Correct. Beautiful. Free ticket to the show. Yeah. Free room and create great, your own. It's great idea. Yeah, exactly. And all you we, have we, to we, do. We, what do they have to do? What's your personal email and phone number? <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do is go. To, what's our email? No, they, they should send it to me. Pamela H at TomDouglas.com. Pamela H at TomDouglas.com. And uh, we are going to draw from the hat. So what do they need to send? They need to send why they should get a free night in downtown Seattle, um, which is, I think, the value, the value of the room is like 300 bucks or yep, 400 bucks. It's going like up that. now yeah. that the occupancy is uh, So anyway, up. you should write why you want to come to our show. And what you're going to talk about. And what you're going your, to talk about. Your subject. Yeah, exactly. No more than 500 words, please. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. On today's show, it's time to talk. Yay! Copper River Salmon is here. Finally! Yay! <laughs> It's exciting because that's a time of the year where normally temperature rises. <laughs> <laughs> and prices rise. <laughs> and prices rise. I was giving a chat at the uh, Seattle Aquarium a couple of nights ago about salmon and about having to treasure it and understand it and be part of the cycle of life with it in order to keep jobs around it so that people don't choose mining instead. Because, I mean, that's really the alternative Correct. to feed your family and... Put your kids in the school. And As you always say, Tom, eat wild to save wild. Eat wild to save wild. Uh, a well-managed fishery, I will add to that. But um, I was trying to explain to the group why I find such a disconnect on the Copper River pricing, because that's all everyone wants to talk about. What's, what's it going to be, right? How, how expensive is the price? And yet, there's a dozen steakhouses here in Seattle that you can walk into and pay $90 for a Wagyu steak yeah. that's farm-raised, force-fed, blah, blah, blah. And this is a natural, beautiful creature, and it's $90 a pound. So it's half the price of right. some of these steaks, right? So I just don't get where people find the disconnect of being so insulted by the price of Copper River when it's a beautiful, gorgeous, natural product that returns every year if we manage it correctly. But it's the same as we can eat as much chicken as we want without even knowing what happened to those damn things. <laughs> but we won't eat the rabbit because it's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> well, the rabbit is actually well, a lean meat that is actually so good for you, so delicious. Well, I don't want to get too far on this. We're going to talk about <laughs> Copper River. Trident here is, is here. Trident is the folks, are the folks that donated... Uh, 50 pounds of Copper River salmon for our Grilling for Good benefit that's happening tonight at the dock in Ballard. So if you're listening to this show early, just check in online and see if we have any tickets left. I believe we're almost sold out as of this Friday morning, but uh, you can check us out at Hot Stove. No, where do they go for that? Do you remember, Pam? Tom Douglas. TomDouglas.com. And you can you can not just buy a salmon dinner for $25, Copper River salmon dinner what? for 25 but you could also choose to pay 50 or pay 100 so that the extra money goes to a good cause. 100% of the proceeds go to Food Lifeline and the Ballard Food Bank. Nice. You're going to have a little chat with uh, Crystal Chu from the Volunteer Park Cafe, Rachel 
Martin is here from the G- Rachel's, Rachel's ginger. ginger Beer. With uh, two students who are shadowing her, learning about the business world. Yeah. Wow. And she is a go-getter. That She's as far a, as a business, business person. <laughs> yeah. Our upcoming Persian dinner class is inspired from the great chefs and great ingredients over at the chef shop. We're going to talk that. And finally, we're going to run through our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Pam, uh, have you left it alone this week, or have you done some sort of little massage to our most listened to uh, event of the week? I've doctored it so the person that I want wins. Oh, no wonder why I lose every week. Couldn't figure it out. It's nothing new. I kind yeah. of, we kind of knew that already. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Chef, uh, I had a piece of Copper River salmon. You know, I went and met the airplane at the airport with Trident on uh, Tuesday morning. Uh-huh. The big kind of fat-bellied cargo jet that they fly in and the captain came off carrying the big 40 pound king it was all over the news was it oh yeah i didn't see it so i just was there i saw it on the news. yeah and what how did i look you, i didn't see you but oh, I, saw the, I saw the salmon oh man i saw the salmon i saw the alaska airline thing uh-huh. and i was like oh yeah just like every year yeah Tom is probably on the tarmac i was on the tarmac you know what it seems like it turns out it smells like jet fuel down there <laughs> It's just stunning when you're on the tarmac. Just one after another, constant jet, and you you can smell it. There's nothing like jet fuel in the morning, (laughs) i got to say. But uh, the fish is beautiful. I I had some. I I did my favorite thing I do with that fanciest of salmon, which is leave it alone. Just try it for what it is. So I put it in my little steamer with a little lemon water steam and just a little pat of butter and some soy sauce. Beautiful. Boom. It was fantastic. Yeah. And yes, it's worth it. No, no, no. no. I did that at my home. Okay. But it's worth it. And I would say that, you know, after this first week, the price is going to come down by by half. Yeah. So especially for the sockeye. My taste of the week happens to be salmon also, but a salmon from last year. A couple of friends of us went to Alaska and uh, fished. You know, people do that. They take a trip and they go and fish. They go every year. They fish salmon. Do they do that? They do that? Some people do, yeah. Yeah. Not me, but they do. And anyway, every year, and they have a blueberry farm, too. That's where I go get my blueberry every year. So Jane Jane gave me a piece of salmon, frozen, of king salmon, and uh-huh. they fished. And, you know, we've had, I mean, have had, and just like you have, many, many pieces of salmon in my life. This was just the most gorgeous piece of salmon. It uh-huh. had been frozen for six months. A year. Months, six you know. months, yeah. And um, I took it out of the freezer, put it in the refrigerator a day before, and I just... I just uh, pan fry it on once on the skin side only mm-hmm. and covered the pan, salt pepper. That's all I did. This piece of fish was just unbelievable. I mean, it was so tasty, like it if came were, out of the water. If you were telling a listener um, what temperature was the inside of that fish when you thought it was done, what would you tell them? Well, actually, like if you put I a little meat thermometer in there, because right? Because my wife likes a little bit more cooked than I do, so I stopped it at one twenty six. So, and that's exactly. higher than I would have stopped it even because she I likes it medium, the, she right? She likes it medium. Yeah. And the piece was one of those pieces where the belly, you know, there's the belly attached yeah. to, the, to the top. That, that belly, I couldn't wait till the fish was cooked. I just took it out and then started eating it before the fish was cooked. Oh, that's what? a chef trick to, to grab the belly first. <laughs> I was like, no way, man. I'm not cooking this to death. I'm just going to eat it now. Yeah. It tasted like it just came out of the water. That's the part I really, because often you buy fresh fish on the market. Unfortunately, it's already a week old. You know, it's not. When they call it fresh, it's fresh, but it's not as fresh as you think it is. This was unbelievably fresh. I mean, I couldn't believe it. 
It was well, so it beautiful. probably was frozen within what within eight ten. hours of catching it. Oh no, no, no! It was freezing on the boat. They do well, they fish uh, and they they butcher. You still it have right to away. gut it and butcher it and yeah, get it. Yeah, it was good. beautiful. All right, up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about salmon. We've invited the folks from Trident Seafoods here, and they've got a new product called Wild Alaska Salmon Oil. It's an omega-3 supplement, so we're going to find out about that on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Kitchen, and we are there, right there. We are here in downtown Seattle, and I just opened the bag of these... Fish oil gel caps is what I'll kind of call them. You just ate it. Yeah. And um, did you put your nose inside the bag? Yes. What's it smell like? Lemon. Most people would think it's going to smell like fish. Yeah, no, it doesn't smell like fish at all, actually. It smells like lemon. It smells like lemon. Good trick for whoever's doing It's like my deodorant. It smells a little bit like my lemon deodorant. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far as breaking the the gel and put it under my armpits, Mm -hmm. but, you know. (laughs) Hopefully a little fresher than your deodorant. Anna is here from Trident Seafoods, and you have a new product out. And we're going to talk a lot about Copper River today because it's it's an exciting time of year. I I treasure this, this month, and I treasure the fact that Copper River... Brings up all boats when it comes to the price of salmon, wild fish to get it to a place where I think it's more deserving in our in our marketplace. So, but let's go back to these salmon oil. Um, what do you call them? They're not. Are they gels or what are they? Yes, they're soft gels. So, soft gels. Trident Seafoods is a third generation family owned company. We were founded. Nearly 50 years ago now, actually by my grandfather, Chuck Uh Bundren. So we're now going into the third generation. And he founded this company with innovation, quality, sustainability. But as you guys are talking about Copper River, it's one of the last wild hunted proteins, Alaska seafood. So we only get what Mother Nature gives us. Right. And the vision behind this next generation of Omega Goodness, we call it, is to carry on that legacy, but also add value to what we already catch. And so what doesn't make it to the center of the plate protein goes into this cold press process, and we're able to encapsulate it and put it into soft gels in our new pouch, Pure Catch Packaging. It That's, is such... You look, you must have done this pouch because you are really happy with it. <laughs> I do have to say, this has been my third baby. Uh-huh. It kind of started as the world started shutting down, and the vision was, oh my gosh, I want something to take on the go as a busy mom of two, but the world shut down. So uh-huh. now as it's opening up, it's perfect for at-home it could sit nicely on your display uh-huh. here, but it's so, great to so take on the go. You? I mean, we've all heard about antioxidants and omegas, and what what does this particular product do for you? What What's your science? I love that say? question because I actually come from a pharmaceutical background, uh-huh. and every day my doctors would say, Anna, your products are great. However, my patients need to take fish oil first. And growing up around the industry, I'm like, oh. I mean, what, I what know. Do you mean by that? You're, you're, they need to take fish oil first. They need first. to take fish oil first because they're beneficial for all parts of our body. Okay. Our bodies don't make omega 3s on our own, so it's vital we consume them through seafood or through supplementation. But I think it's about 95% of us don't eat enough seafood. Uh-huh. And what makes us different is we're a seafood company first. So we focus on preserving that natural protein, mm-hmm. but we know, hey, we want to add more value to this and have opportunities to support. 
every healthy ailment in your body. And that's what this is for. It's perfect to take at home, on the go, and really um, supports healthy eyes, brain, heart, joints, skin. That's what I was and, wondering right there, yeah. Our yes. skin, our largest, our largest organ, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And there is so much omega research out there, and sometimes there's conflicting data, but what we often find is seafood, beneficial throughout our whole lives and beneficial to the whole body. So really what makes us different is that we're a seafood company first, focused on that wild protein. And as you guys know, Alaska equals sustainability. Mm -hmm. So tying that back to all we do in the wild caught certified sustainable species. I love the way you see your passion. Oh, I can't help it. I know. She's glowing. Well, she takes one of these gels every day. (laughs) That statement is not approved by the FDA, but yes, I do. (laughs) This is the only thing I will take compliantly every day. Uh And I just love it. I think it's, um, it's so special to our story, to our heritage but also just carrying on like you guys talked about the copper river run is beautiful and the story behind salmon as jose will share in more detail later but taking what mother nature gave us and adding more value to it i look at my dad growing up he always told me be a value-added babysitter be a value-add to wherever you go in life (laughs) and this is a great way to add value to your daily routine because even growing up around seafood, I can't eat seafood every day. Mm-hmm. So I have but, a question. Yes. To make that oil, do you use the bones or do you use the whole fish? We use what doesn't make it to the center of the plate protein. And typically the highest amount of omegas are found in the heads. In the head, yeah. Yep. So that's where we um, put it through a cold press process in Alaska and then encapsulate like it something here. anybody could do at home. <laughs> Well, no, but it's spectacular when you think about the nose to tail idea. Of course, of course. And sometimes... Um, it makes me crazy when I watch people cut up a fish and how much they waste, right. especially young chefs who really don't understand the fact that the belly is the best part, but they want a perfectly trimmed, nice-looking filet instead of trying to figure out how to incorporate more of that fish into the filet. Right. Plus, when you look at value, when when you're looking at around town right now at Copper River being 90 bucks a pound for king salmon some places uh, or $75 for a portion on a restaurant menu, why not try to get the most out of that fish you can get, which yeah. is all the other parts of it? Yes, and well, I, it's, I think for anything from Mother Nature should be used 100%. I mean, it's, there's no reason why not. You know, otherwise you don't complete the circle and you're, you're doing what we've been doing for the last 100 years, which is wasting all the resources we have on Wasting the Wasting it, putting it in cat food, doing yeah. all sorts of things. I mean, using it all, though, is key, I think. Yes, yeah. the strive for full fish utilization was always my grandfather's vision, my father's vision, and to carry that through. But I love that you touch on the prices of this right now. My husband used to be in the meat industry, and he grew up with those big steaks and would want to go pay for them. We started dating, and he now will say, I would rather have... Yeah. Copper River than a steak, oh, and you're willing day. to you pay for it. You can always have a steak. No, you can always have Just a steak. Like you can always have chicken, but you can't always have a wild piece of salmon. There's only so many pieces of salmon left on the planet that yes. are wild. Yeah. Exactly. Please. So let's enjoy. go back to the just gel uh, for a second, which is, and talk about a little bit, like in vegetables, when you cook a piece of broccoli, and when you eat it raw, it has a certain profile and a certain uh, uh, vitamin profile. When you cook it, things change. Mm-hmm. So on these gels, uh, when you get the omega-3s out, like even when I'm having a piece of applewood grilled salmon, compared to eating salmon sushi, say, Is there a change in the component when it gets cooked? There is. So interestingly enough, most oils on the market are not made in the USA. And then they're refined, meaning they just 
are caught to enhance the EPA and DHA. And this cold press process allows us to keep all those essential fatty acids in their natural form. Uh So those omega-3s that you get from eating a piece of fish... They show up here, and since it's cold-pressed, it does have the nutrients like the vitamin D in there as well. It actually has 25% of your daily serving of vitamin D. So your spot on that natural triglyceride form allows it to keep a lot of those nutrients that you would get. And does our body process it easier then? Is that what? Yes, that is. Yes, exactly, because it's in the natural fat form Mm -hmm. as it's formed in nature. So it does. It processes it better. Why doesn't all this fat make you fat? <laughs> Honestly, wait, wait, I'm, just, I'm curious. You take one a day. You don't take the whole package in one morning? That's how I you do. Start. That's how you start. They're so beautiful. I mean... They look like salmon roll. Like aren't they cura. beautiful? Yeah. They are beautiful. And, you know, you could... Take a little bite out of that, and you'd get that fresh, wild taste. But uh-huh. we did include that sensor smell just to enhance the consumer experience and entice you. Yes. That's this thing, this little that heart. That is that. There. And do not eat that. We say leave the, leave the heart in the pouch and your heart health to us. But sometimes consumers get a bad experience with fish. They don't have fresh, wild copper river salmon or fresh frozen like you were talking about earlier. And this allows it to keep that, um, really enhance that smell and entice you to come back for more. This concerns me for you. (sighs) To eat? Well, if you can't eat this, it sure looks edible. So it concerns me from the perspective just for your company as liability issues. So. Tom, you, got, you brought out a great point. And since this is a test launch available on Amazon, we are pivoting down the future to keep that smell and maybe eliminate this heart down the line. But or just it, put it into a perforated Exactly. That package, is yeah. next round of packaging. That's exactly what you'll see. And I'll be sure to get you some so you can try it. Because <laughs> I want to eat the heart, too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's funny is my five-year-old, that is her favorite thing well, exactly, about this, is the exactly. heart to that's, smell. <laughs> that's like the Tide uh, pods, you know, the, the washing machine pods that look like jelly beans. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Anna, thank from Triton Seafoods. Thank you so much. This is thank a great you. discovery. And, uh, and I'm just going to say thank you. I'm going to thank you in the next segment, too, for the donation of fish for our benefit, our grilling for good benefit this weekend out at the uh, dock, the Serious Pie Ballard Dock. I'm going to take uh, this to France. Thank you. Thank you. Today. 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 Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about Copper River. Why, you know, all the misinformation out there, I keep hearing a million different reasons why it's the better fish or it's not as good as the Yukon or blah, blah, blah. We're going to find out the true story when we come back. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we're back here in the hot stove kitchen. Terry's got a mouthful of Dahlia Bakery breakfast sandwich, which is mm. making its way around the room. You know, I love it with our my shallot mustard, just so you know. You want to torture Pamela and make her get out the shallot mustard. That's that's okay, too. Anna Gonzalez, uh, who was just telling us about these salmon pearls that she brought to us of salmon oil. You forgot to mention your own podcast before you get out of here. Yes. So there is a book written about Trident, Catching a Deckload of Dreams, and it's uh-huh. about the founding of Trident as well as our founder, Chuck Bundrant. And we have turned it into podcast form. So if you are interested in learning more about Trident Seafoods, it's founding. It's available wherever podcasts are formed. And I have the great opportunity of providing small introductions and just bringing the story to life. Nice. So appreciate the opportunity and joining you guys. And uh, hopefully you can listen to our podcast, Purchase Pure Catch on Amazon. And we'd love to continue to part with her with you. All right, cool. Thank you. Let's bring Thank Jose you on. He is going to tell us the Copper River Santa story. 
Hi, Jose. Jose. Nice hat that you have on. How's it going, Tried everyone? Seafood's good. So uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity, Jose, to set the record straight. Let's I do think it. there's a lot of mis- misinformation about Copper River. One of the questions that I've been asked for 25 years about this fish, why is it better than this fish? Or why is it better than the Columbia River? All those things. Can we start at the beginning of the run? No pun intended. Or maybe no I should say pun intended. Uh, can we start at the beginning of the run? And why is this fish different? Okay. okay. Yeah, let's, let's, start, let's start from the beginning. So this fishery dates back to probably the mid, we'd say mid, late 80s when it started to kind of gain popularity. Right. John Raleigh, right? Yeah. And yeah. then within the, the early 90s, we found out that there was a really strong liking to it, not only for the fact that it kind of starts the beginning of the, the salmon season for Alaska and then throughout the Northwest and the product gets delivered throughout the United States, but we found out that throughout time, you know, this is a salmon that carries the same type of um, lifestyle cycles as many of its other cousins. But the beauty of this actual fish is that it really needs to, in a way, fatten itself up with as much omega-3s as possible to make one of the most longest journeys of about 300 miles to go up a river to go back to its native spawning grounds. So, because they don't start to eat until they... Once they start going up the river, right? Exactly, they exactly. So you, we started taking a look at just how can we how can we market that? How can we bring that to the table and say, hey, look at the difference between this fish and all the other fishes that are coming out of Alaska. And throughout the last 20 years, everybody from Alaska Airlines to all different suppliers and, and producers up in Alaska decided to say, hey, let's put a marketing effort behind this. And every, you know, it was a perfect recipe where everything started to come together. And the fish really speaks for itself. I mean, you could put a fillet of Copper River against a fillet of, let's say, Bristol Bay. And to a fish connoisseur who knows oil content, and when you cook it, you could see the different types of oil variations. And so as time went by, the fishery only gained more and more popularity. Uh, to the point where it, it's become now kind of a tradition in the Northwest, a tradition in Cordova for our fishermen, for our plants, for our, everybody involved that touches it. And um, the, I guess the story, if we want to say it, is is the fish speaks, speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. The sustainability factor that has gone along with it uh, has also promoted just how awesome, you know, th- right. this is, basically. So, oh. Terry, uh, you, you know about this, I'm sure, yeah, but, um, you know, there's oftentimes uh, that they open the season, you know, you have six hours to catch kings, right? Right, right. And that might be for a week, you only get the six hours. You and better so, have a full wallet. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that's, it's, it's managed in a way to uh, very carefully so that enough fish get through that they all return again next year. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Alaska Department of uh, Fish uh, of fish and, and game do a very good job of maintaining sustainability. Um, they have a very strong group of biologists and scientists that are yearly around looking at fish counts, looking at what the fish movements are, when the correct time to open the fishery is. Um, traditionally, it's always in the middle of May, but there are times where you know the river is a little bit colder and, and it's harder for fishermen to be able to harvest fish. But that's the livelihood of our people in our in Alaska, our family in Alaska, basically. It, like you're saying, Tom, it's fisheries can be twice a week and only 12 hours long. If you think about some of the fishing grounds that our fishermen and fisherwomen have to go to, 
it could be anywhere from one to five hours. So from where they start to launch their boats, they're, you know, driving all the way out five hours, spending time there during the 12 hours, coming back. So it's a really strong dedication that goes to this this amazing, beautiful animal, which is something that is one of the last things that human is still hunting for, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is something to remind everybody. Wild exactly. Salmon is the beauty. I mean, it's... Yeah, when you see wild boar on a menu, don't believe it. <laughs> That's a gene pool. It's not the way they caught it. <laughs> no, I mean, there is a lot of um, food items that are available out there, especially in the protein section, but... You know, wild salmon is just magical, I think. Yeah, and, and that's kind of um, as trident the story that we t- try to tell as, as what I do for work. I, we try to connect customers to be able to tell the Alaska story of, of what is a wild salmon. I mean, we're always used to seeing an Atlantic salmon, and, and what story does that really have? Mm-hmm. It, 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 open, is, open, it is what it is, open right? Open pen farming on Bainbridge Island. That's it, the story it, that it is. Exactly. Has. But to be able to, to tell somebody, hey, this is where this piece of fish started that ended up on your plate. And the different sources of people and hard work that went into it is kind of what I but, back it up. And, and, and also, you guys are attached to some serious regulation, which is something not to forget. I mean, I can't believe how pristine the fish comes in, how beautiful it is, how... You know, all those different things, that doesn't come by accident. That comes because there's some very serious regulation. There's, there's very serious regulation, but at the same time, there's very strong different uh, operation people that we have where we're, we're talking to tenders. We're ensuring that the whole ch- cold chain cycle is as, you know, is as tight as it can be to be able to get the freshest fish like what you saw, Tom, on yeah. Tuesday. I mean, yeah. that was a beauty. Yeah. So can, can we take a minute? I'm not sure. I don't want to put you in a place that you don't know about, but oh. uh, some, dispel some other salmon question rumors and truths that I get asked all the time. Yeah, go so, for it. So, for example, there's uh, does the Copper River have all five species of salmon? Because uh, we really only see the top three, the right. food chain species. We see the king, the coho, right. and the sockeye. You, they, they do run as well through uh-huh. there. Um, Why don't we see those? Are they just... They, they are commercially harvested, but... They're not, I guess, marketed the way that that sockeye is. Okay. So there are times when we are fishing for sockeye and king. We'll, we'll intercept other fish, other species that are running earlier, uh-huh. and we we don't. They don't. We don't specialize. Or exactly. Market we don't. I mean, yeah. the the Copper River itself is part of the Prince William Sound Fishery District, mm-hmm. and so when we see other other fishes that are not uh, a sockeye or a king. They kind of just go into that Prince William Sound subfish district, but yeah, it's just like any other river. You will see other species outside of just yeah. sockeye and king, for example. Another Coho. another big one I get is ivory salmon or white salmon, white king salmon. And as a chef, uh, you know these are sometimes marketing tools. At, at a fish counter, it's sometimes a marketing tool to get more money for the fish. To me, that's total nonsense. It's a salmon, and it's either a chromosome issue or a, a feed issue. Do, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, I'm really glad you bring that up. So one of the one of my personal goals is to try to promote uh, white kings uh-huh. in itself. Marble? Do you call them white or marble? They, people call them both. They'll call them kings, or, or they'll call them marble, or they'll call them ivory. And what happens is one of the genes inside the 
that particular fish wasn't able to process what it's eating correctly, so hence the pigmentation inside the flesh turns white. Uh, When we fish these type of of animals, we're not able to see them until we actually cut into into the the inside. I mean, when, when a fisherman is pulling it off the deck, it's basically all just normal skin. It is actually a delicacy outside of the United States, to be honest with you. And the reason why is because I think consumers here in the U.S. buy with their eyes and they need to have salmon be really red or Mm. that orange tint color. But there are certain... Which is why they color farm salmon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But there are certain chefs and and certain users that are now being more keen to it. But yeah, as as we fish normal red colored salmon, you will get white colored salmon. Yeah. And it's the same. That's all the point I was making. It's right. the same. In flavor, it's, I mean, I've done yeah. it many times. You can blind taste test all day yeah. long. You would never know. But yeah. they do, the fish markets tend to want to grandize that because right. they know that you're looking for red salmon. <laughs> so they're like, oh, this is better or something. It's nonsense. Exactly. Um, if you want to ask us any more questions of, about salmon, because it's such a Northwest thing, uh, why don't you just put them in the email to the hot stove and... Uh, we will try and answer them next week on the show when Terry's in France, uh, not Bonjour. not eating Alaska salmon. You know what? I won't be eating salmon for three weeks because I know what kind of salmon we have in France. I know that's true. It's all farm wild Alaskan. We, we actually do have some wild Alaskan salmon in France. I'll there talk to you about Ooh, that. Yes. It's frozen. Jose, but... Thank you so much for coming on from Trident Seafoods. Thank you again along with your team, Katie and Anna, for the donation of the Copper River salmon for our big grilling for good event on Saturday evening at our warehouse dock in Ballard. Up next, Rachel Marshall from Rachel's Ginger Beer is here to chat. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Look at there, much more lively now that they've had their Dahlia Bakery breakfast sandwich here at the the Hot Stove. If you want to come be a a watch our show, uh, Pamela will tell you how to do it. You go to where? Hotstove.com? Hot Stove Society. Sign on up. Sign on up. It's 30 bucks. Get coffee. Is the coffee hot? Pretty hot. Pretty hot. Hot Pretty coffee. Is coffee hot? Yeah. Delicious, yeah. And uh, you got a hot breakfast sandwich. Yes? And fun. And fun. And don't forget to watch us on YouTube. Live. And, by the way, everyone today got a little bag of uh, salmon oil gels. So congratulations. They're going to be super healthy. Don't eat the heart, apparently. <laughs> Just eat everything around the heart. Yeah, apparently. Uh, Rachel is here from Rachel's Ginger Beer. We all know that. And um, you are bringing in... It's a... Uh, is it a change of season time for you? What's going on? It is. We're kind of transitioning from um, the very, very long winter, and it's been an awfully, awfully wet spring here as well. I so thought we were still in winter. Man. This morning it was 40, I am so tired 49 of- degrees. I'm like, what is this? It's 90 degrees in France right now. Yeah. I'm, like, I go to I'm so tired of Brussels sprout ginger beer, so I'm ready for, <laughs> ready for a new flavor. You always told me that was your favorite, Tom. Come on. But... Um, um, I said asparagus because I have France on the mind. Um, rhubarb just hit. So oh, nice. I'm having a lot of fun and lots of headaches uh-huh. in our central kitchen making strawberry rhubarb ginger beer. Why headaches? Um, because we don't use extracts. We take uh, big, long stalks of rhubarb, cut them up, steep them, strain them a, a thousand not times. Not a friendly vegetable, is it? Very unfriendly, and it clogs all yeah. of the filters a thousand times before we finally get it into that keg and into our glasses. And the enzyme in uh, rhubarb, isn't that creating separation problem or anything? Oh, does it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
No to talk. Learn how to emulsify. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. So hmm. what's the process for ginger beer? You've been making it for a long time, and you can make pretty much any flavor, it seems like, uh, except Brussels sprout. That was a joke. <laughs> um, so what's the process? How do you make ginger beer? I think what's really simple and confusing about our ginger beer recipe is it's just a four-ingredient recipe. Fresh ginger, fresh lemons, the best water in the world, which comes from Seattle, and um, really great organic cane sugar. Chop the ginger, juice the ginger, chop the lemons, juice the lemons, make the simple syrup, mix it all together, and in eight hours we go from whole fruit into a keg that can be poured um, um, that evening. Mm Mm-hmm. How cool is that? That's well, it's, it's super awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you have to peel the ginger? We do not. Oh, um, good, because that talk about hard to deal with. Boy, Peeling no kidding. Much, yeah, we were. Um, I'm here with my friends, and uh, we were in the kitchen yesterday, and we processed three thousand pounds of raw Whoa. ginger, uh-huh. uh, and we do that three times a week, and <laughs> it's so That's much a ginger ton and a half. It's so much ginger and about three times that of lemons. And had you this told me this... you, you process that between three people? <laughs> like, what are you guys, super, super uh, peelers or something? What are you? We have arms and, and knives. No kidding. And, and we're all really sore. And I, I don't do this very much anymore, but I have a blister on my finger. So. <laughs> I know, poor me. <laughs> okay, so now it goes into a keg and it goes off to one of your many tasting rooms? That's correct. And then uh, to a bottling line? Yes, so we bottle in-house. Um, everything is done in-house from beginning to end. Um, nothing's outsourced and nothing's co-packed, which is both wise and stupid. Uh-huh. So is um, there a trick to bottle something that's f- spritzy like like your ginger beer? <laughs> because yeah. Because I would think that bubbles would be getting in the way of putting a cork on something. Yes, yeah, so it has to stay super-duper cold because CO2 doesn't like to stay in warm beverages. Like if you have a bottle of Diet Coke in your car rolling around all day and you open it and it goes crazy, that's because the CO2 is trying to leave that liquid. So it has to stay super-duper cold. That cold chain can't be, um, cannot be interrupted. And also, um, you don't want anything to spoil, and you don't want all that fresh lemon and ginger to oxidize. So it's right. keeping it cold, 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 and fast, fast, fast from bottle um, to mouth is really important. Cool. So what do we have in front of us, Rachel? Today we are having our, kind of our most popular and my favorite, the pink guava ginger beer. And we also the have... what? The pink what? Uh, pink guava. Oh, That's pink a guava. more opaque, uh, lighter colored one. And then the more red one is our uh, seasonal strawberry rhubarb made with Northwest rhubarb, of course. The best rhubarb in the world. And we're not quite into our... Strawberry season so, yet, so you have to deal with that, right? That's correct. Right. So we outsource that um, to California. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. You, everything starts with the base of lemon and ginger, right? Correct. So not everything can possibly match with that, right? Big what time. Are, what are the big problems? Uh, big ta- our biggest problem is pectin. Um, pectin is the enemy of CO2. There you go. Our friend is tequila. Get it, Tom. <laughs> um, so we have to be very careful with working with berries. They make the foamiest ginger beer. It's a real headache. Um, anything with seeds. So like strawberry, kiwi, ginger beer is probably the best thing you'll ever drink. Um, but those teeny tiny seeds in, um, in the kiwi are just an enemy of our kegs. I, sometimes I really envy ice cream makers because they can use all these whole ingredients um, and have inclusions. And we just have to be very careful. Everything has to be perfectly liquid. Have you ever tried pineapple? Yes, we have a spicy pineapple and oh, um, a caramelized pineapple. And with tequila, darn, next time, Tom, with tequila, it is magic. Oh, with rum, I think it would be killer. That's a good point. Like dark, um, 
blackstrap, yeah, high molasses yeah, yeah. rum. That's delicious. That so, good. Chef, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I did just pour a little yes, shot of oh, we all noticed. Gazadores into the uh, light pink one. And it That's is the guava. Uh, the guava, and it is um, quite spectacular. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. You finally said it. <laughs> spectacular <laughs> ginger beer. <laughs> Ten years ago, Tom and I were at an event when I was a wee child, just getting started. <laughs> and you were, what, 19? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, today I'm 25. <laughs> and, and, no, that would be 29, 10 years ago. <laughs> Whatever. I'm a college dropout, Tom. And I, Me over, too. And I overheard Tom say, I don't like ginger beer. And it I have never me. been a big fan. Bruce Cost, years ago, mm-hmm. uh, started had a ginger beer out, and he wanted me to promote it for him. And it was just like, I can't do it. It's just not something that I choose to sit down and drink. Um, I like them, especially straight up, in a funny way, like uh, the... Uh, What's the Brune, the popular one from Australia? Oh, uh, oh Bundaberg. Bundaberg, yeah. yeah. Or think it were Reeds or any of those mm-hmm. kind of shapes. They were just a little too harsh for me. I like them much better when they're blended with a fruit of some sort like this. Well, I, I must say that I don't drink it as often as maybe I should. Uh, but every time I, I very much enjoy the fact that it's a non-alcoholic beverage, number one. Mm-hmm. And then you can add alcohol to it. That's number two. The two things I like, the two profile of that. But I also like the fact that the flavors are always extremely fresh. Like you can taste that it's not like a, an extract made in a laboratory somewhere or yep. whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's really, I really enjoy that, that part of the ginger beer. It's also what I hate about a lot of these flavored seltzers out there. They I just, hate that. They I just I don't taste good I to me. I cannot drink anything that is made up like it's a fake flavor. I just can't because I taste it. So I... I just can't do it. I always say they taste like urinal cookie smell. It's like... Like Diet Pepsi. Exactly. Exactly. That exact smell. It Uh smells like urinal cleaner. Yep. 100%. It does. You can't get that smell out of your head. I'm sure our sponsor's going to love that. You should do a testing Um, of that. Let's make a couple of cocktails real quick. I'm sure you... At your your, uh, tasting rooms, you have cocktail bars. Correct. Uh, tell us about uh, making your favorite cocktails with uh, some of these bases here. Something that was really important to me when I was developing this recipe, and, and for what it's worth, Terry, I, I lived in the south of Germany for five years after college. Ginger beer was everywhere in Europe, came right. back to the U.S., no ginger beer, started ginger beer, boom. What, what was very important to me is that we have something that could make a two-ingredient recipe, so a very strong, concentrated ginger beer. So all you have to do is get a bottle of vodka, get a bottle of bourbon, get a bottle of mezcal, tequila, anything you want, ice, two ounces of your spirit, top it up with ginger beer, you're on your way. Yeah. So easy. Easy, at-home, mm-hmm. um, super great Memorial Day weekend cocktails, um, very easy and approachable. Yeah. So if you don't want it the, any flavor, any... But- Liquor flavor, then you use vodka. If you want right. to have some residual flavor, mezcal is a smoky, right, residual flavor. That would be delicious. I just put in a Reposado tequila. Perfect. Yeah. I don't know if I can do the rest of the show. And maybe if you're having, but... if you're having maybe a breakfast drink, like some kava topped with um, mm. pink guava ginger beer, is such a lovely combination. Yeah. yeah Are you going to do strawberry when they come out next month? Absolutely. That's next. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. All right. Coming up next, Crystal Chu is here from the Volunteer Park Cafe. She joins us uh, in the studio. Uh, chef shop owner Eliza Ward shares some background on her shop and her upcoming Persian cooking class right here at the Hot Stove Society Kitchen. Thank Radio you, Rachel. The Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3.
We're back in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society. I'm Tom Douglas. Thank you for joining us for our second hour. And I'm Terry Roach, your the chef in the hat. Yes, you are, and you're a handsome one at that. You seem especially excited today, chef. I'm very There's something excited. going on that we should know about? No, nothing special. You know, I'll just be flying to France today, so... Um, <clears throat> and see your mama? And more importantly, it's 90 degrees. I'm like... In France? I can't wait to be in my short and my Hawaiian shirt and go... <laughs> What oh about God, the people? This is what it's supposed to be. What about the people that have to see you? Are you going to do that on the plane, or are you going to do that? <laughs> you know after what? You get That's the least plane? of my problem. That's their problem by now. <laughs> so you're going to go see your mom. I'm going to see my mama. Yeah, and my brother and my sister. Uh-huh. And what's she going to make for your first dinner back? She has already told me this morning. I called her this morning, and I was trying to play a joke on her, going, "Hey, I'm in Paris," and she's like, "Wait, you told me you were coming." I'm like, "I'm just kidding." I do that all the time. She thinks with my you're mother. really funny, I bet. Keep her alive. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, she's marinated some very thin pork chop on the bone, mm-hmm. you know, but the cotelet, like below the rack. And uh, we're going to grill that when we get home, and we're going to start with that. And so that's where you salad. learned that recipe because I've had that at your restaurant. Yeah. yeah. But the thin one, the, she makes the thin one. Uh-huh. Like, they cook in like five minutes mm-hmm. and uh, with a beautiful green salad from the garden and. And some haricot vert. I guess if it's 90 degrees, you can have a garden. Yes, yeah. but you better water it at 90 degrees. Uh, Crystal Chu is uh, what, what is, saddled up to the mic, sauntered up to the mic. Mm-hmm. Right here. Right here <laughs> from Volunteer Park Cafe. She's, uh, she has uh, took over from Erica, who Erica had the, that restaurant there for a long time. And, Terry, you've been there, so I would love you to kind of run uh, about Crystal's background first. Well, f- yeah, and, and first I would like to say that if you haven't been to the Volunteer Park Cafe, if you have a lunch to do, a meeting or whatever, perfect spot. I mean, it's great. You're in the middle. If you've never been, the Volunteer Park Cafe looks like a house in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So it's very quaint. And the whole place is totally quaint and perfect for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So um, congratulations to you. It looks, it looks and feels really good. Thank and you. You haven't lost the touch of the Volunteer Park Cafe. I like that. Oh, thank you. That's what we love to hear. And uh, the food I had was delicious. <laughs> that uh, pastry case, you brought some sample here. That pastry case is definitely looking very, very healthy. <laughs> I like that. And um, why don't you tell us where you come from and... Because I had never heard of you before, and I was, I was amazed to meet you. Yes, of course. I'm a Texan, born and raised. My um, actually a child of immigrant parents who came from Taiwan um, back in the late 70s. But grew up in Texas and kind of worked not in the food industry to start. I got a bachelor's in communications and ended up moving to D.C. and working in politics for about six years I happened to work for Nancy Pelosi, who was the speaker Whoa. at the time. Uh, I was working in a press Never office. Heard of her. <laughs> I was kidding. I was working in a press office for her first uh, term as speaker of the House of Representatives, and it was a very special job for me, especially right out of college. And uh, after four years, she lost that position, and then I lost my job, and it was a little moment of reckoning where I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, and I realized I had such a curiosity and love for food that I did some time at a bakery in D.C., and it was my first time seeing what it was like working in the food industry and thought that, you know what, why don't I make this my career? 
So never looked back after that. I went to a pastry school in Chicago. Uh, after that, moved to New York City, worked at restaurant Danielle uh, with Danielle Boulud uh, in their Good pastry kitchen. Mm-hmm. And after that, I wanted to continue learning pastry in all forms that I could. So I started traveling and I went to the Asia Pacific and Australia and staged in different restaurants in that region for about a year. Um, and landed in Indonesia, where I worked for um, Amer- an American pastry chef in Bali, Indonesia. He had a he has a restaurant there called Room for Dessert, and was his chef de cuisine for about a year. And came back to the U.S. My passport was expiring, my visa was expiring, so all signs kind of pointed to coming <laughs> yeah, back to home. the U.S. <laughs> and then I came to Seattle, and I. Became the executive pastry chef at Canlis up uh-huh. in Queen Anne and was their pastry chef for two years. And after the pandemic, I kind of wanted a little change of pace for myself. And that's when I joined my colleague, Melissa Johnson, who also worked at Canlis, um, to reopen Volunteer Park Cafe. That's my background. That sounds like a, <laughs> such a beautiful road. And, well, you're, and you're only 22, which is cool. Very close. Very close to that. <laughs> well, when you were in D.C., of course, one of the great pastry chefs in the world, Michel Richard, Michel Richard. was yes, still alive. Absolutely. And, I, and back there. I had his desserts. They were magnificent. Yeah, just yeah. He had such a, a, a spirit about him. I think he was a genius. He was a creator like nobody else. I agree. I mean, he was a pastry chef that actually turned chef. And opened, when he opened Citrus, mm. that was his first restaurant. Mm-hmm. And he opened Citrus. In L.A., right? I was, I, was, I was in the back before he opened Citrus with him. And he was explaining me how the line was set up. And I was like, I never heard of anything like this. I was like, <laughs> who, who comes up with great ideas like that? He's not even a chef. That's because he's not a chef. He's a pastry he's chef. A chef. Yeah. So he thought differently. And that was, it was really cool. Well, uh, believe me, when we were in our, we were Amtrak railroad chefs together on the chef team for Amtrak, uh-huh. he thinks very differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you probably. Like, Can you give Michelle. an example of that? Well, you know, at his restaurant in D.C., uh, it was all about making like caviar out of eggplant so that it was it served in a caviar tin, but it was all eggplant pearls, basically. Right. And they were spectacular. Like, that is not what we're going to serve on the railroad out of a, ga- out of a galley kitchen that's the size of a broom closet. You know, so it's like, it was those kind of conversations. Right. Yeah. It was yeah, the same when, uh, Nish- uh, not Nishino, um, Nobu was on my chef oh, team yeah, on yeah. Northwest Airlines. Having a hard time being, yeah, exactly. being understanding the masses there. What was, your, what was the one place that you went that really defines who you are today? Is there, is there one operation that really you glommed down to? Because I can tell you some of the chefs that really made a difference in my life, including the one right next to me here on this show. Aww. So, uh, so. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. The one place that really sticks out to me is my experience in Bali, Indonesia, uh-huh. with Will Goldfarb. As a pastry chef, we often work with ingredients that we have never seen in its natural environment, like chocolate and vanilla and spices like cloves and nutmeg. The basic. Yes. And so all the baking spices, right? I hadn't even thought about that. They're they're right there. They're right there. So when I lived in Indonesia, I also spent a year kind of traveling throughout the country that's made up of many islands. And I got to see 
cacao trees growing. I met a vanilla farmer growing vanilla beans and saw how he hand-pollinated each flower as it came out. And I saw clove farmers growing their trees and learned how they harvested their cloves. And as a pastry chef, it really made me feel very close to the product that I use and the end product that I make from them. And it really kind of closed the circle for me as a pastry chef to be able to really understand the ingredient that I work with. I would bet you're one of the few in this country that's had those types of experiences. Maybe. I'd be sad. I I, I felt exactly (laughs) the same way when we went to India and uh, central India in the Kog Mountain. And uh, I went to, we stayed in a coffee plantation Mm -hmm. and there was peppercorn growing on the trees, on the vines. Mm -hmm. And there was... Did you smell them? Oh, I picked them, and Kathy yeah. was, could not understand why I was going so crazy about peppercorn. And I go, honey, I've used this all my life. I've never seen live peppercorn. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've seen cabbages of all kinds. I've seen lettuces of all kinds, but I've never seen peppercorn. I was going crazy because, yeah. you know, you pick them, they're fruit. They're like a berry. Yeah. We're going to explore that further, Chef, and, and Crystal Chu. Can you stay with us for another segment? Sure. Good. We want to talk about the Volunteer Park Cafe a bit and what you serve there and your inspirations and... And more on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're in the kitchen with Crystal Chu from the Volunteer Park Cafe here at the Hot Stove Society, enjoying her story of uh, her staging all over the world to become the pastry chef that she is today. Uh, the, um, you know, we talked a little bit about Michelle Rissard and my daughter when she was working on the um, senator's team from Maria. Cantwell, Senator's team here from Seattle NDC giving tours of the Capitol and the Library of Congress and things like that. She was also hosting a night at Central oh. for Michelle Richard and she just always laughed. He was such a knucklehead that he would just come in and, and move out his paying customers to bring friends in and sit down at the table. He was, he was a card, that guy. Um, it made her crazy. Absolutely made her crazy. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, so now you have the, we, we heard your story about some of your background and uh, your inspirations and the spice routes, the, really literally the spice routes being in, not just on a ship or off a ship, but there in the, in the gardens of the spice route. Um, now, how does that translate to your new restaurant, the Volunteer Park Cafe? Sure. So Volunteer Park Cafe and Pantry, we are... We're pastry, but we also have great coffee. We serve Olympia coffee, trying to keep it kind of local. Um, <laughs> hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because we all know coffee comes from Olympia. <laughs> Just south. <laughs> yeah. Um, but our, our food menu is just right, I think, for the size that we are. Um, we serve a lot of open face toasts. We have soup. We have salad. So coming from my background as a pastry chef, I'm... I'm making pastry, but I'm also using a little more of my savory experience. You know, as a pastry chef that works in our restaurant, you kind of get roped into learning everything about a about a kitchen. And so I'm really happy to be able to use my other skills as well that I've learned in the kitchen that isn't just pastry. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that tartine I had, the open face uh, chicken curry salad. Yeah. That was scrumptious. <laughs> I would say that... All my background has been fine dining, so being at the cafe has been a different environment for me in terms of just my life schedule, but also the things that I make. And, you know, people love to come to the cafe because it's comforting, and it's a, it can be a 
daily place that they want to go just for a cup of coffee and a little pastry. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to experience the joys of just daily pleasures in life at a cafe than I have at a fine dining restaurant. So I've really embraced trying to make things that people love to just enjoy eating that's comfortable and pleasant like the pastries I brought, we have like carrot cake and layered chocolate cake and crumb cakes, muffins, like things that people feel warm inside and out eating. Right. So, yeah. Beignets, are you going to do beignets? <laughs> not yet, not yet. But Good. the world... i keep my waist down. <laughs> <laughs> what's, it, uh, what's it like to have that kind of environment? Uh, you were up at Canlis on, on, uh, on Aurora, 99, mm-hmm. very busy. Yeah. Uh, if you're down here at any of our restaurants, Terry's Old Restaurant, Lule, or whatever, very urban environments, and you're in this park setting. Yeah. But um, how does that inspire you? You know, we're really lucky that that cafe is in that neighborhood. It's actually been having that commercial lease has been grandfathered into that business. So about 50 years ago, that started as a grocery store, a little small grocery store in that neighborhood. It's really fun to hear neighbors come in and tell their stories about when they're a kid and they came into that grocery store to buy candy after school. Um, You don't really hear that a lot these days, I think, especially as the city is urbanizing. Um, but then it turned into the cafe under Erica, and we could tell people really gravitated towards that. Mm-hmm. They love just having this place on the corner or a little corner spot, bright yellow house with a little garden in the back. But it's been, it's been fun to embrace the fact that we are truly a neighborhood cafe. We're only, the only thing for a few blocks. And so we, we really embrace that and really try to make it this environment that people... They see us as their friend. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the coolest part about it. It's the only business around in yeah. definitely a few blocks. And, and it's also, in, you know, in Volunteer Park. I mean, it's like it's a great part of the city. And yeah. I, I don't know, it's a great environment. You get the garden in the back, yeah. you know, the patio in the front. And I mean, it's kind of <laughs> great. The big Asian museum is there. Say what? Isn't that where the big Asian museum? Yeah, the Asian is? art yeah, museum yeah, yeah, yeah. is over yeah. there. Yeah. There's a like a conservatory, conservatory over there. Yeah. That's oh. That's really fun. Yeah, so I mean, people make it people make it a fun little like day trip. Go yeah. go over to the park, come over to the cafe just for some food. It's it it's yeah. a it's a fun part it's of a town feel to visit. Good all around. And a hop, skip, and a jump from the arboretum and the Japanese yeah. gardens. And oh. I mean, there's so much of that kind there's of a lot going on there. over there. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, so we've got the pastries that looks a little bit more well there's some dessert and some breakfast what else do you serve like what are some other kind of savory things on the menu for lunch and dinner yeah we have so right now at the moment we have um because it's spring like just wanted to use all these vegetables that are available right now we have this kind of garden vegetable soup um the broth is just made of vegetables all the scraps that we have in the kitchen that we don't want to quite compost but use all the way um we have a salad that has Israeli couscous, golden raisins, kind of this carrot relish we make in-house, um, uh, tossed in with some arugula and a lemon vinaigrette. And we have a few, ah, and I also need to talk about our breakfast sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> I think we might be the most well-known for our breakfast sandwiches. Uh, they're actually a brainchild of my colleague, Melissa Johnson. She's from New York City. She's from Long Island. And... Growing up with breakfast sandwiches from bodegas on the corner, just like just like yeah. us, right? Um, 
she has this poppy seed roll recipe that we use, um, that we make fresh every day, bake fresh every day. Like a hard roll, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, what they consider hard rolls on the East Coast. And we do, we have, it has egg, cheese, and if you'd like, bacon. But you got to do the bacon because it adds a little bit of saltiness <laughs> and crunch to the, to the sandwich. But we wrap it up kind of deli style and... If you see Instagram stories that people post about eating the sandwich, they love just like breaking it in half and just seeing that steam come out and then cheese ooze out of it. And people come for that thing in the morning. We sell it until around 11 a.m. or until it sells out. Weekends are, it's a mad rush for those things. So come early if you can. Weekdays are probably the better day to snag one. But what are your hours exactly? Uh, we are open Wednesday through Sunday uh, from 8 a.m. until 5. And isn't there a little pantry section as well? We do. So we have a pantry where we like to feature kind of Pacific Northwest, but also things just of great quality. Um, pantry items, we have fresh. Uh, we have dried noodles, we have crackers, um, we sell just some pantry items that you may not usually see, like Kewpie, where I use Kewpie a lot in our kitchen, so Eric, I was like, we partner, gotta sell it. My partner is crazed for Kewpie mayo. Kewpie's so. the best, but yeah. we also sell dried flowers and fret, like house plants as well, um, candles, like any anything. It's just fun to browse. Um, it's so funny, I find it fascinating. You're obviously an accomplished chef. And in Indonesia, you've seen cloves growing, clove trees growing <laughs> next to your table. And yet, we're, we're fascinated with things like sugared mayonnaise. <laughs> when it tastes good, plastic, it tastes good. In a good. plastic jar. I know, it's so funny. But it's very chef. I mean, that's very typical of a lot of chefs who have the little trashy sides yep. to them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal, for yeah, joining thank us you today. So much. Absolutely. Get thank out you for having about me. to the Volunteer Park Cafe. It's worth a little stroll, maybe make an afternoon out of it or a, yeah. a morning a morning walk and enjoy one of the great places in our city. Up next, uh, Eliza Ward is here with some highlights from her favorite products and producers over at Chef Shop down there on Elliott. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo Radio. You know, we're all about discovery here in our kitchen, and as we have done already today, we've discovered these new salmon gels. Uh, we've discovered Crystal Chew's pastries from the Volunteer Park Cafe. I mean, when you come um, on the show, you get a lot of treats. Uh, everyone's got Rachel's ginger beer in front of them. It's a... Uh, it's been a fabulous discovery day today, and we're not going to stop now. Okay, good. No, we're not. We're going to go over to the chef shop over there on Elliott, and I'm still jealous that you guys got that name for your store so early on in the world. Yeah, well, we were early. We were early. You were early. Yeah, yeah. You, were early. you were there a long time ago. We were. We actually, well, I'm not going to interrupt you, Tom. You go ahead. If- no, it's okay. Uh, Eliza Ward is our guest. Uh, she is, are you uh, the owner of Chef Shop, right? Yeah, yeah, me and my business partner, Tim. Tim, yeah. Uh, and uh, you're going to highlight some of the things that you're um, not only selling in your store, which includes these beautiful honeys, but also uh, some of the ingredients that we're going to use on next Tuesday, I want to say. The Persian dinner. When is that, when is that dinner? May 24th, 5.30. Incredible menu. Uh, yogurt, eggplant dip, barberry rice. Um, our Pedro Lozano Garbanzos. Oh, your favorite. And then there's a make-and-take chickpea cookie. Mm. Yum. 
So, and there's a couple and of spaces And we need ingredients this... from Chef Shop. And so attendees get a little kit of the core ingredients, which is why we're so proud of the partnership. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited. Very excited about the partnership with you guys. You know, we used to do cooking classes down at Chef Shop, and people come in literally every day and say, when are you going to start your cooking classes today? And I uh-huh. say, mm-mm, no. <laughs> They're a lot I'm, of work. I'm done with that. Um, Tom does it a lot better than I do, so we're partnering with you instead. Uh-huh. And so we're sending people down here. Well, it's it is it's a challenge, as you it know, is. dishwashing. I mean, just everything that has to happen when you have a full class schedule. Yep. So, what did you bring for the dinner on Tuesday? Oh, okay, so and I think you said there's two seats left, right? Is that right? Uh, probably six. Six seats left. Okay, so oh, yeah, come on, come on, guys. HotStuffSociety.com. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, so a couple of the ingredients, I'm glad they really don't show up that well in the camera. A couple of the ingredients that I just brought that's going to be in your kit if you sign up for the class is uh, tart dried barberries for the rice dish. These are actually, usually the barberries come from uh, Persia, but right now, which is an old-fashioned term, these are grown in Washington. Really? Um, So one of the suppliers we actually can get from now is from Washington. Um, Beautiful product. And what's a barberry taste like? It's kind of like a cranberry, but sweeter. Okay. So you know how cranberries, you wouldn't be able to eat them if you didn't add sugar? Right. Barberries, you don't need to do that. They actually make, you know, they're, they're used extensively in, in Middle Eastern cooking, but I just put them in my yogurt, or I put them in other things. And the barberine that's in barberries is actually very good for you. It actually helps regulate your blood sugar. So if you consume a lot of them. So you take the fish pill and the... Uh yeah, thin your blood, yeah. bring down your blood sugar. You're going to live forever. Next thing you know, time. you're on Here. a rocket ship. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, Persian limes, which I could I could take these out if you want to look to see what they look like. Persian limes is another hard to find ingredient. It's a dried lime. It can be anywhere from a sort of a light brown color to a black color. They're often called black limes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't remember what dish we're putting it in, but it adds yet another limey, uh, lime or lemony type flavor. It's actually. Isn't that the kind of lime they use in a, a lot of Amaros and like mm-hmm. Cointreau and things of that nature? I believe so. You guys know better than I do. Yeah. I hope that's not. Well, it's just kind of a very interesting dynamic to it. Right. Uh, it adds like a uh, like like if you're making say a chicken tagine where you have the chicken in there and you have the chicken lime lemon tagine and you have the, you have the dried mm-hmm. preserved lemons, you have fresh lemons in there, and then you can add this, and it's yet another kind of umami extra citrus and that's the thing because it's not like one of our fresh limes it's just a totally different flavor totally different it's sort of um very lemony smells like cat pee but you know hey it adds a different component well so does fish sauce i love the smell fish sauce is one of my favorite ingredients ever yeah (laughs) right and then the last product uh that's going to be in your kit if you join us in the class is the locally grown pedro solano chickpeas one of pam's favorite chickpeas it looks, it's a very small chickpea round, kind of like a chechi, um, but it has a very delicate skin, and that's the key. So if you're making like a hummus, uh, so it makes for very creamy because you're not dealing with all those really thick skins. So Pam, you, you use these. Uh, what's yes. your favorite thing to make with these kinds of chickpeas? Hummus. <laughs> <laughs> and just why? And why? Because they have a different flavor or because they puree They're better? They're creamy. They're creamy when you, yeah, when you put them in the blender. It just has a... Spectacular texture. I also keep some aside uh, to fry because I love them really crispy too for salads. Yeah, yeah. And they make a great fried. So you rehydrate them and fry them. You start from dry. Yeah. And boil. Then you, you dry them out, yeah. And dry them out. And then fry, you deep fry, fry them in rice bran oil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fried chickpeas and fried capers in the, in yeah, the salad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And the Pedro Solano, because the skin is so tender, uh-huh. you, it's it's makes a nicer fried chickpea than a lot of other varieties, right. like the Yorks that are very big and 
skinny. So that's all happening on Tuesday the uh, 24th. I have a little Persian supper here yep. at the hot stove. There's six tickets left. Go to hotstovesociety.com. Now, you've brought us some wacky honeys here, I, too. So one of the things that we do at Chef Shop is find sort of the best, most unusual, hard-to-find, incredible ingredients from all over the world. We do get a lot of local ingredients. Some people think we only get non-local ingredients. That is not true. I look for amazing ingredients in this area, the Pacific Northwest, as well, because it's such an abundant area. It it um, We have some beautiful products like these barberies and these chickpeas that I brought today. And don't forget your fresh program. We do have a fresh program, but this is an example of some of the unusual products we bring in. This is flown in directly from Sardinia. For those of you who are looking for corbezzolo or bitter honey, we have it. Um, Sardinia, is, Sardinia is an island in the Mediterranean, yep, yep. right next to Corsica. Yep, right next to Corsica, which is part of France, which you probably know more about, Thierry, but uh, Sardinia is considered part of Italy, sorry. I know. Um, <laughs> So, okay. yeah, I have, a, I have a friend over there who ships me small shipments, so, so we import some of his products directly, sort of incredible stuff that comes out of Sardinia. But Sardinia is not the only place. We have a lot of French products, too, um, all over the world, really. Really, it's about quality and hard-to-find, unusual. So if you're a honey person, uh, you've brought four kinds of honey for us. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you identify which one? I mean, I guess you could just buy them all and do a tasting, which is you could, fun. So I, we specialize in what are called monofloral honeys. We do have a few multifloral or uh, millefiore honeys, but we specialize in the monofloral honeys. Which, which just means, means one... It means the bees have noshed on one particular flower at a time. Mm-hmm. So do you put like a chain on the bee? No, yeah. the how bees... Do you, you know, how bees do you stop coming exactly. going? I was going to say, so, you put a fence around the tree? So it okay, depends. bees, you stay here. Right, right, right. No, bees are actually pretty lazy. Right, which makes sense because they have to survive. Right, it doesn't so make sense because they're always called busy bees. They are busy bees. Well, they're not lazy in that way, but you know, the, the you know, if you put them in the middle of a bloom or a nectar run, uh, and that's pretty much all that's around, they're not going to go very far. Multifloral honeys or uh, millefiori honeys tend to actually be collected in between monofloral runs. So you have a, a floral run, and there's a peak, and then oh. it comes down the other side, and then you're going to go to the next one, and uh, in that in-between, you get more of a mix of pollens as one flower fades and the next flowers come up. And so those were mono, you know, multifloral honeys are going to come generally in between nectar runs. Um, so as long as you have a big enough field or a big enough area, wild area that's growing some of these things, you can pretty much get monofloral honey if you're on top of it, if you're a, if you're a nomadic beekeeper and move your hives around to where mm. the flowers are. So, so if you put your hives in the middle of an apple orchard... You're going to get apple You're gonna, honey. What, but you feel good about calling it apple blossom honey, a, right? The, because There's a criteria about the, the percentage of nectar and pollen that comes from a particular flower to be able to call it a monofloral honey. Okay. So there and is a criteria. how do you criteria. figure that out? DNA test? Or what do you yeah. what do? You do? Yep, yeah. you test it. Or, you, you know, for the smaller producers, you can taste it, too. Well, we only have one minute, so let's talk about the bitter honey, because I think that's the most unusual. Yeah, right. You called it a strawberry tree honey? It's a strawberry tree honey, also known as corbezzolo honey or bitter honey. It is very specific to Sardinia. You might get a few coming out of Sicily, but most of it comes out of Sardinia. It's a very classic ingredient. You know, if you ever look for a Sardinian cookbook, I think the most classic one is, uh, I think it's called bitter honey, something bitter uh-huh. honey. And so it's... It's very unusual and specific to Sardinia. And it's bitter. It is bitter. Yeah, no, it's definitely bitter. And it's, I thought it was booze at first. I thought it was like alcohol in there. It almost tastes like an Amaro or that it yeah. has bitters yeah. added to it. 
Yeah. No, and that they- bitter. And so here's the thing, right? Things like bitter. Things that are bitter are good for you too. And so you know, the monofloral honey is the stronger the flavor, the better it is for you. Mm. And so. Very strongly flavored hunters like Corpozzolo, that bitterness, good for you. Same like the bitterness that you get from olive oil, that uh, oleocamphal or oleorupine or whatever's in there, that's what's good for you. Yeah. Where do so people find you, you in the shop? We're down on Elliott, so we're between Magnolia and Queen Anne in the interbay. We have painted our building yellow, so you can find me. Um, and you've probably driven by me a million times and you don't even really realize it. Um, you know why? Because you always see the fencer, the, the fencer right, side, because right, that's the big Seattle yep, yep. fencing. And uh, Holy company. Mountain Brewery, little call out for them. They're our neighbors. So if you've been to them, which a lot of people have, we're right next door. Yeah. The thing is, we're not open quite as late as they are, and we're not open on Sundays. We're open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5. Monday through and Saturday. And you will find me there most days, although. But I the easiest have... way is probably to go online. Yep. So two things you can't do on Sunday now. You can't go to Chick-fil-A, and you can't go to Chef Shop. Can't go to Chef Shop. My, uh, Tim has always bugged me to actually be open on Sundays, too, but I have to say that I do need a day yeah. off. Put your foot Once down. What? I know, right? Eliza Ward has been our guest from Chef Shop right here in Seattle. It's a great little store. has my favorite orchietti. Uh, you'll have to ask her when you see her at the store, which one is my favorite. When we come back, it's time for Rub With Love Tasty Trivia right here on the Hot Stove Society Show. Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. We're back at the hot stove. It's time for your Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Rub With Love is a family of spice blends, sauces, and mustards that belong in your pantry. And yes, we make them out there in Ballard at our warehouse. These condiments have nuanced flavor profiles that assist you in building distinctive menus. Rub With Love (laughs) is available at all town and country markets, Ken's Markets, Payless Foods, and Freeland, or Bartell Drugs, or online at Amazon, or TomDouglas.com, or... You name it. Chefshop.com. (laughs) Speaking of that, Eliza Ward is here to uh, also continue down this road of getting crushed by Tom and Terry in the Uh -uh. trivia challenge. Easy now. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Let's not make that. Uh, But uh, we told people where they could find your store on Elliot, but we didn't give them the website. Oh, yeah. Chefshop.com. Chef as in cook. Shop as in store.com. Chefshop.com. Chefshop.com. All right. Uh, Pamela, will you tell people how to play the game and who's going to uh, win our prize today? Each of the three contestants is getting five questions, and the person who gets the most right is the winner. Yay! And then there is, is that losers. Yeah. <laughs> Yay for being losers. Uh, the winners today are our charming live audience who are the all, whole thing? yes, they're all getting a jar of veggie rub because it's my favorite of oh, veggie your favorite. <laughs> Because it has mustard in it. Oh, okay. And Terry and I love mustard and fennel. Uh, you know, Dreamy uh, combo. I'm trying not to go broke. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last couple of years, there's been a thing called COVID. And if you keep giving away all of our stuff. They'll buy more. They'll become so enamored become so, with it. Exactly. They're going to become right. hooked and they're going to have And the loser has to deliver the prize. Exactly. By the way, it's good if you use those spice rub within about three months. Okay, so place your order now for the next. Next Palette, batch. All right, let's get started. Starting with uh, our beloved chef Terry. I like that. Yes. I like the way Eliza says it better. True or false? This is a little tricky. Salmon are native to the tributaries of the North Atlantic and Indian Ocean. I'm going to say Pacific. Exactly. So that statement is false because they are native to the tributaries of the North Atlantic and the Pacific. Correct. Okay, I got the first one in. <laughs> Yay! Whew. Chinook king salmon slash king are the l- largest salmon. 
Which are the smallest, sockeye or pink? Pink. See? You're going to do very well today. The four most produced crops in the world are sugarcane, corn, rice, and what is the fourth? Wheat. Yes! Oh, wonderful, wonderful start. Please name a variety of chickpea that grows in the Northwest. A variety? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. It's called the Pedro Silano. Oh, excellent. I could have not said it in one word, but... And, and finally, name some foods that you should never put in the refrigerator. Tomatoes. How about that? Keep That's going. A, strawberries. <laughs> yeah. Never put yeah, your strawberries yeah. in the fridge. Five for five today, Chef. Way to right. go, Chef Jerry. Here we go. Woo. Tom, gotta go, gotta I'm go. I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. No, 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 it's okay. Eliza, <laughs> you, on. You, you are up. When we talk about Persian cuisine, what is the general geographic area of the origin of this food? <laughs> the Middle East. Yes. And drilling down any further? Nope. <laughs> you already got a yes. She's, not, she's like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm it's like asking me what after I won on Iron Chef. Were you going to go do it again? Nope. <laughs> Iranian is most. Yeah, Iranian. Iranian is most common. Moroccan. Yep. Yeah. And that, North that African, whole region. Right, exactly. That whole region. So that, that is a yes. What is removed from the wheat grain endosperm? Um, and when we're making white flour, uh, so bran. that it gets that color. The bran? Yeah. Yes. What is Gewurz Treminer, and where is it typically ground? Gewurz Treminer sounds like a grape. Yep. And it's grown in Germany? Yes. This is a special one for you because it's something you do so beautifully at the shop. What is the difference between extra virgin olive oil and virgin olive oil? Oh, my Long goodness. story. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it has to do... Well, extra virgin, first thing you have to know is that term means something in uh, for olive oil producers, but in the U.S. it's not a regulated term. And when we talk a lot about it because when you buy olive oil, you want it to be extra virgin because the reason we purchase olive oil or use olive oil is because it's good for us or we want the flavor, right? It's either for the health benefits or the flavor. And if it's not extra virgin, you're not going to get either of those things. So extra virgin, the number one definition is that it's the first pressing of the olives as opposed to a second pressing um, the second pressing is something you want to avoid because it's generally done with a chemical, uh, and that chemical residual can e- end up in the oil itself. Uh, but secondly is you're going to miss all the really healthy qualities of the oil, like the polyphenols and the flavor that are in there. You're only going to get it with an extra virgin olive oil. But the term is actually broader than that. It's not just the way it's been pressed, but it's also just the quality aspects of the oil itself. It has no off flavors. It's not old and been oxidized. It's fresh. So it also has to do with the way the oil has been stored or the way it's been um, traveled and all that stuff. So, yeah. Let's have her back it's, to talk about extra I know. We need to be very long. I can give you a whole lecture on it. No, I know we could do a whole show with her know, right? on olive oil. Thank you. All right. And then, uh, finally, since you're nailing this, um, typically uh, salmon hatch in fresh water, and then they migrate to the ocean, and then where do they reproduce? 
They reproduce in freshwater. Yes. And for bonus points in your own jar of veggie rub, can you say the name of what that characteristic is? I can't pronounce it. It's got a very scientific term. A-N-A-D-R-O-M-O-U-S. Anadromous. 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 And it is the reason why you don't want to consume raw salmon. Because Because it's actually a freshwater fish. There you have it. Heard here on Hot Stove Radio. Did she uh, tie you today, Dan? Yeah, five out of five. (laughs) Tom, Tom, no pressure. Okay, audience, (laughs) I might need some help. Just, I'm a lip reader, so just to lay her row, the the female salmon uses her tail to create a low pressure zone, lifting gravel to be swept downstream, evacuating a hollow depression that is called a. Let's go. Red. A red, like a little den, right? Yeah. It's a, a red. red. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Audience. Thank you. Are we giving it to him? Because yes, absolutely. I didn't, oh, okay. no, I didn't realize that she was actually going to say it out loud because I would never have been able to lip read that. Wheat flour might seem ubiquitous, but it's just a Western phenomenon. Northern European countries use many other kinds of flour. Please name three alternative flour types. Uh, buckwheat, hazelnut uh, flour, all, all sorts of nut flours. Buckwheat, uh, of course, we use the regular winter wheat durum flour. Is that enough, or do you want more? Yeah, you didn't hit on uh, some... Yes, it's enough. Teft, we'll, we'll give it to you. flour. Uh, potato Bye. flour, almond potato. flour, chickpea flour, rice flour. So many flowers. Jeez, it's oh, the tough crowd. <laughs> a bouquet of flour. I know. What is the cultivation method for white asparagus? Uh, it's a darkened room, or they <laughs> mound the earth up, depending on what capacity you have. Yes, thank you. Asparagus, it's the same plant. It turns green when it hits the sun. The secret is don't see the sun. Don't see the sun. Sort of like us. The solid white fat, suet... I thought you were calling me that. <laughs> that would be from, me. From beef and sheep is found in what part of the animal's body? Around the kidney. How'd you know that? Everybody knows that. <laughs> I didn't know that. This is a smart group today. Because the Copper River is so long and steep, gaining an average elevation of 12 feet per mile, what is it that the fish need to store for their epic journey. Well, as we heard earlier on the show, uh, they store omega fats and, and uh, amino acids and things like that to Boom. get them on their way up that 300-mile journey. Five <laughs> out of five. Everybody's a five today. Yay! Five. Everybody's a winner. What's your name? You get, a, you get a jar of my mustard because you helped me get five out of five. So Everybody's a winner today. I appreciate I know. that. What awesome. A, what a good day. Eliza, what? thank you for uh, being a good sport on yep. our show, unlike myself. And <laughs> if you want to come play uh, Rub With Love Tasty Trivia, you can do it on, online uh, right here in our studio here. You're listening to Hot Stove on Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley right here. The Runs the uh, trivia. Uh, Sean on audio. Thank you, Sean. And, of course, Sean DeTore back at the studio. Thank you. And uh, if you want to uh, subscribe to our favorite podcast app, the Hot Stove Society Radio Show, you can do it at any of your favorite places to buy podcasts. That's right. And get it for free, I think. Absolutely. Or you can go on to our YouTube channel and uh, sign up there for free. All right. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful weekend. Have a great trip to France, Chef. Thank you. Bon voyage.